Please turn with me in your Bibles now to 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. 1 John is a small little letter toward the very end of your Bible. And if you're using the chair Bibles around you, you can find 1 John 3 on page 1022. First John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, we ask, Lord, that you would in our hearts um, bolster assurance of salvation. Help grow within us who are saved. Help grow love for one another. And we ask, Lord, that for those here who do not know you, I ask, Lord, that they would uh, be able to rightly see and discern in their hearts what's, what's going on and, and, and be able to turn in faith to you, Lord Jesus, and receive your love and be transformed to someone who can love as you have loved us. We ask now, Lord, that as we meditate on your word, that we would just begin to see the glory of your love towards us. How it's not only an amazing example for us to live by, but that it is also the very source and solution for our love. So we pray this now all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> when you come to church on Sunday, do you come to hear about Jesus as a good moral example for yourself and maybe for your children? Do you come merely to be inspired by the life of Jesus and what he taught? Peter Abelard was a French philosopher and theologian in the 11th and 12th centuries. He was the father of what is uh, called today the moral influence theory of the atonement. The historian Philip Schaff summarizes Peter Abelard's view this way. Christ not only did not pay any price to the devil for man's redemption, but he also did not make satisfaction to divine justice and appease God's wrath. In the life and death of the Redeemer, God's purpose was to manifest his love and thus to stir up love in the breast of man and to draw man by love back to himself. 
it's pretty concerning. <laughs> so Abelard believed that Jesus' earthly work was only an expression of love that inspires us to imitate his example of love. So Jesus was just an example of love. Abelard's influence, uh, his view has influenced other theologians, uh, one of the most notable being uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher of the 18th and 19th centuries, uh, who's known today as the father of, the, of modern liberal theology. So many today still hold this view of the atonement. So what do you think of the moral influence theory? Do we merely need to be inspired to love God and others? Is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection just an example to be inspired by and to follow in a similar way? Or is it more? I believe that the letter, this letter of John teaches us that Jesus is more than an example of love. He is the only solution for how we can be forgiven by God for our sin. And He's the only source of true spiritual life and love. When He unites us to Himself by His Holy Spirit and, and He bears by His Holy Spirit within us the fruit of genuine love for God and for our neighbor. Today in this passage we'll see, we, we, we definitely will see that Jesus as an example of love. That's, that's a good thing. And we ought to spend our whole life just meditating on, on how Jesus has loved us and, and learning to imitate that love. But we are going to see more than that. And it will bring us great hope and, and I believe it will give us ballast for our assurance of salvation. In this passage, John revisits a test of salvation uh, that he had he'd pre previously begun to uh, draw a sketch of back in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. So, true believers love the brothers, the brothers and sisters of the faith. It may seem at first that John is just repeating himself in today's passage, but as you'll see, John is adding to this idea. He's filling it out. He continues to draw his sketch, not, not with color and nuance, but with black and white for contrast. Chapter 2 spoke of light and darkness. Those who love walk in the light. Those who hate are in darkness. John uses stark contrast there, and then in this passage, and then also the previous passage from last week, um, and, 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 but he, he does that with, with new pictures. He contrasts truth with lies. Practicing righteousness with practicing sin. Children of God with children of the devil. Life with death. These ideas of, of love, light, truth, life, 
practicing righteousness, being a child of God, those are all connected ideas. If you have one of those, you have all of them. And in the same way, darkness, hatred, lies, death, practicing sin, being a child of the devil, those are all connected. If you have one, you have all the others. So John writes in this, in this circular way, bringing up old ideas, again, to connect them to new ideas. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ, that was connected to light. And now, love will be connected to life. Eternal life. As we walk through this passage, we'll have four main points for you to follow with. Uh, first, we're to love the brothers as Jesus commanded. And second, we're to be warned by the negative example of Cain. Third, we're going to see that love is evidence of salvation. And then fourth, we will land on the gospel and see the positive example of Jesus and the word of love as Jesus has loved us. Let's begin with the first point. We are to love the brothers as Jesus commanded. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. John reminds his readers of an old teaching. A teaching that they heard from the beginning of their faith. That they are to love one another. John hasn't moved on from this basic teaching. And he doesn't want his readers to either. Remember, they're, they're being distracted by some false teaching. And John is rooting them back to the old teaching of Jesus. We never move on from the gospel. And we never move on from loving each other. This teaching comes from Jesus himself when he was in the upper room with his disciples the day before he was crucified. In John 13:34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What's so new about this new commandment? Jesus' disciples, they, they had read Leviticus 19 that says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So what's new about what Jesus is saying now? Well, it was new because Jesus commanded us to love as he loved us. We are now commanded to love with Christ-like sacrifice, Christ-like forgiveness, Christ-like patience, persistence, joy, generosity, and so much, so much more. We haven't been merely told that we are to love. We have been loved in the greatest way imaginable. And the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out so that we love with His love. So this teaching of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ in a Christ-like manner is it's one of the most core and foundational teachings of our faith. May we never move on from it, but, but meditate on it daily. 
and have Christ's love be expressed in our love in more and more ways to more and more people, and especially to each other. In verse 12, John then warns us with uh, this, uh, this negative example of Cain. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, he was the very first human to be born into this world. So, how did the first child turn out? Was he a child of God? Or of the devil. In Genesis 4, we read the story of how Cain and his brother brought offerings to the Lord. Cain brought an offering of fruit from the ground because he was a gardener. Abel kept sheep, and so he brought the firstborn of his flock with its fat portions. The Lord accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. We aren't explicitly told in Scripture why God didn't accept Cain's offering. But I think we have some clues. In Hebrews 11, it says that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. In faith. Cain is obviously contrasted with his brother, so perhaps the Lord did not accept Cain's offering because it was not from faith. But it, maybe there's more to it than, than, uh, than the faith. We do know that Cain didn't have faith. Well, Cain became angry and envious of his brother Abel, and he responded by murdering his brother in a field. 1 John 3.12 tells us why Cain murdered his brother. Because Abel's deeds were righteous and his were evil. But more fundamentally, actually, we see that he murdered his brother. In this text it says that he murdered his brother and it's, we see that he was, it's because he was of the evil one. His father was the devil. Who your father is will determine if you love or hate God's people. Look at verse 10. The, the verse right before our passage frames the direction that John's going. Verse 10, it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So who's your father? To find out who our earthly father is, you know, we can go and we can do a DNA test. But to find out who our spiritual father is, whether it's God or whether it's Satan, we need to look at a few different things. There's a few different tests. One of those being how we treat God's people. In verse 13, John moves from the example of Cain's hatred for his brother, a very individual and specific illustration, to a broad illustration to the world's hatred for all of Christians. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So there's an inference that's implied here. If the very first person born of Satan hated and murdered his brother because he was righteous, 
Well, then don't be surprised if the world, if everyone else who is born of the devil hates you because you are righteous. Stephen Smalley puts it this way, Christians are to the world what Abel was to Cain. It's in the DNA of the children of Satan to just be repulsed by righteousness. Well, thankfully, the world's hate doesn't always look like murder. I mean, we all know uh, people who do not walk with the Lord who are very kind people. Uh, I've, some of the most sacrificial people I've ever met uh, have been people who aren't Christians, who aren't walking after the Lord. So thankfully, it doesn't always look like murder. Uh, at my previous job, though, I, I would have co-workers who would intentionally say inappropriate comments around me, and then they would sarcastically apologize because I was there. Uh, now, I'm sure for many of you, in your jobs and in the fields that you guys are in right now, you're facing far more blatant forms of anger or perhaps even hate for living righteously. In our culture today, our Christian sexual morals are hated so much that the world, every now and again you'll hear the world accusing us of hate, of bigotry, of homophobia and transphobia. And then when uh, every once in a while when a Christian leader has a moral failure, the world rejoices uh, that, a, that a hypocrite has been exposed and it just gives them another example to support their claim that Christians are no different than anyone else. Let's expect the world to be repulsed by us as we follow Christ in our schools, our jobs, our sports, our family gatherings. If the, if the world isn't repulsed by us at all, well, then perhaps, perhaps we're being chameleons around them. Perhaps we're just, we just start to act like them when we're around them instead of acting like Christ. Let's pray for strength to not give in to this peer pressure. I've given in to peer pressure. So let's, let's pray for God's help in those, in those situations. To be, to be more like Christ and to not be afraid of their hate. In verses 14 and 15, John wants us to see that love for our brothers is evidence of eternal life. And at the same time, hatred for the brothers is evidence of death. Verse 14, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Let's start with the evidence here of eternal life. All Christians have made the same journey from death into life. You aren't born into spiritual life. We're all, as David said, conceived in sin. We're all born as sinners by nature. We're born with the devil as our father as we saw last week. And we're dead. Spiritually dead. And dead people can't help themselves. They need to be acted upon to become alive again. So we didn't just need Jesus to be an example for us. We needed a Savior. 
We needed Jesus to not just resurrect himself from the dead, but we needed him to resurrect us from the dead spiritually now and then at his return to resurrect us bodily in a glorified body. Now look closely at this text. See the, see the phrase, because we love the brothers? Because we love the brothers? What, what is that the ground of? Is it the reason why we've passed from life, from death to life? Did our loving bring us from death to life? Did our loving save us? No. Love is a sign of our eternal life, not the ground of it. Our love is the basis of our knowledge of our salvation, not the basis of our salvation. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you were not saved because you loved. You do not stay saved because you love. And you do not you you will not be saved at judgment at the judgment day because you loved in this life. Your salvation past, present, and future is all because you have been eternally loved by God in Christ. 1 John 4.10 explains this, how, how God initiated loving us and saved us from His wrath. In verse, uh, verse 10 it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Before we loved God or anyone else, He sent Jesus to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sin. We needed divine wrath to be justly satisfied by a sacrifice. If God can initiate loving us before we're loving Him, can we not also initiate showing love with one another? Can we not also love those who aren't loving us and won't love us? Now, one very interesting relationship that we must consider here is the relationship between faith and love. The relationship between faith and love. Remember that John loves to connect ideas together. And he does it here in this letter and he does it in his gospel as well. Again and again, we see John connecting faith and love. In five, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Everyone who believes, so we have faith, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So those who believe are those who love the Father and love the brothers. So John immediately moves from faith to love. We see faith and love are tied together again in, in 1 John 3.23, uh, which says, And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. We see here that faith in Christ has been commanded, and along with that, so is love for one another. These two commands, the first, to believe the gospel and be saved, and the second, to love, 
are always to be connected together. The call to faith being first, followed then by a call to love one another in response to the love that we've received. I believe that faith and love are are so closely connected together because love is the chief and first fruit of faith. Remember the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians? What's the very first fruit that's mentioned? It's love. It's love. And also, as we think about the greatest commandment, what's, what's the greatest commandment? It's to love. To love God and to love your neighbor. And, and then all of God's commands throughout the Bible, every single one of them flow out of love. They're all connected back to either love for God or love for neighbor or a combination of both. So love is the chief fruit of faith. Immediately after someone is born again by the Spirit of God, they then believe. So the Spirit brings faith. And then faith, in turn, brings about love. Love for God and love for others is then born of faith. Now this, this love, is not it's not a perfect love by any means. We're not, when, when we're first saved, all of a sudden it's not like as if we're just these super Christians that just love God, you know, uh, super well, and then love love uh, love our our uh, our neighbors in very mature ways. But r- rather, uh, this is something love is something that always needs to grow in us. Uh, we we continually learn how to to love God uh, more consistently and more fervently, and and we ever grow to love one another more genuinely and and uh, more sacrificially. But love is present in every believer. So the evidence for eternal life is that we love the brothers. Now let's, uh, let's look at the evidence of death. Look at the last sentence in verse 14 and along with uh, the rest of verse 15. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, this this may seem at first kind of like a a very big logical jump to make to say that someone who hates his brother is a murderer who isn't saved. But remember, John, he's creating, he's writing to create contrast and uh, not nuance. So let me do some nuancing in light of what the rest of the Bible says about these things. John is likely thinking here about uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when, when Jesus says that anger deserves the same judgment as murder. There in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus aims at getting to the heart of sin. I, Howard Marshall illustrates this type of hate uh, this way when he says, All hatred is embryonic murder. All hatred is embryonic murder. Hatred's DNA is to grow up into murder. Now, thankfully, uh, uh, anger doesn't always get to the point of killing someone else. Sometimes hatred grows into murdering other aspects of a person. 
like murdering another's reputation, murdering another's influence, destroying someone's self-worth, killing someone's joy, disturbing someone's peace and security and their comfort. That's just to name a few. There's so many different ways that we can or others can, by their anger and hatred, uh, uh, attack someone to destroy them. This term for murderer here, it's only used in one other verse in the New Testament, and, and that's in John chapter 8, when Jesus describes the devil as the murderer who is who, the one who has been murdering from the beginning. He's been murdering from the beginning as he was murdering through his fathering of Cain. So there's a deadly connection here that John is making between hating, murdering, and following the devil. This leads us to a very important question. Perhaps a very sensitive one, too. if, If I'm angry with another Christian... Does that mean I'm hating them and therefore I'm a murderer and therefore I'm not saved? How much anger can I have against another Christian before it's evidence that I'm not saved? Well, this text here uh, doesn't answer these questions specifically, but... I think what's helpful is for us to to take a step back and remember some of the previous passages and and think about the idea of making a practice of sinning. Remember when John was talking about that, making a practice of sinning? If we make a practice of hatred toward our brother, this unrepentant way of life, then eternal life is not abiding in us. Our confidence that we're saved should really diminish. Eternal life is not abiding in us. Now, Christians Christians get angry at other Christians. It happens all the time. Family members get angry with each other daily. Sometimes, um, the hurt that one Christian can cause another can really be tremendous. It can be pain that can last a long time. It can be even abuse or trauma. And the pain and confusion and anger for that can last for years. Even if the abused Christian has forgiven that person in their heart. That type of scenario, though, that I just described... I don't think that's what John is referring to here. That's that's not like deep-seated bitterness. We may not fully be able to reconcile with every Christian that we've been angry with on this side of eternity. Yes, we press into reconciliation with, with other believers in Christ that, that, uh, that we've come into conflict with. We, we press in. We go, we go to considerable lengths to, to try to come back together again. But we may not fully reconcile with every Christian on this side of eternity. So what do we do? 
I'd encourage us to foster love in your hearts for them that one day, one day you will see them face to face in heaven and everything will be made right again. And everything will be forgiven and everyone will be healed. Look forward to that day. Love never fails. And so love looks looks past even these conflicts that we have with other believers that don't seem to get resolved. It looks it looks even past that and it looks to eternity to 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 heaven when we will be able to see our brothers and sisters face to face with unhindered love and joy and forgiveness. So cultivate that 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 perspective in your heart even now. Anger against another Christian is it's not always evidence that you're not saved. There's other things that are often going on, but let us press on toward reconciliation with one another and uh, be, be, be sensitive and aware that, that no seed of bitterness really begins to be established in our own hearts. So we've seen the negative example of Cain and the world, and now we turn to Jesus, the greatest example of love. Look with me at verse, seven, uh, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John moves from warning us to not be a murderer who lays another's life down for his own benefit, to encouraging us to be a Christian who lays down his own life for the benefit of others. Being a Christian and being a murderer are complete opposites. We have no greater example of love than Christ's love for us on the cross. He loved us, his enemies. He was wounded so that we would be healed. He was crushed for our iniquities. He took our punishment for our sin. And in exchange, we received the peace of God. True love sacrifices for the benefit of another. True love goes to great lengths to preserve a relationship. God made us to dwell with Him. But because we sinned against Him, we deserve death and that relationship was broken. We didn't deserve to have everlasting life with Him. But God loved us. And so God made this unimaginable solution for our unfixable problem. He sent Jesus, the God-man, to live the perfect life of love that we couldn't live and then to take our punishment that we deserved on the cross. He bore the wrath for his bride, the church. And then he resurrected in power and sent his Holy Spirit to make us alive so that we could love him in return. He perfectly restored that relationship. Jesus wasn't just an example of love. He fully fixed our love problem. He dealt with our old father and slave master, Satan. And he rescued us from him and adopted us into his family. 
He dealt with the guilt of our hatred toward God and one another and pronounced us innocent in Christ. He dealt with the power of sin in our lives by giving us a new heart to in, it's indwelt by His Holy Spirit. A heart that now ever more and more grows in loving for God in love for God and love for neighbor. And then Jesus taught us with His life and with His word what true love really is. And because He's made us new creations we can actually follow His example. The moral influence theory of atonement is so hollow in light of the gospel. It's void of hope. It's void of intimacy. But the gospel is full of hope. And it's not only the example of love, but the gospel is also the solution and the source of our love. Christ literally laid down his life for us. And now we are to follow in his footsteps, not necessarily dying literally for each other, though that definitely has happened throughout church history, but our laying down of our lives more often looks like dying daily of our desires, of our interests, our preferences, our agenda, our energy, and our comforts. So that our brothers and sisters in Christ, our family members, can flourish in their faith and in their well-being. 1 John is a book for each one of us. We've talked about that before, that it's written to every single person here. It's written for each one of us, young and old. This call to lay down our lives for each other isn't just for adults. It's, it's, it's for children as well, for every single person here. So let me just speak to a few different groups of of people here. First, let me speak to the children here. I I see definitely a a handful of children here. So kids, I want you to know that this this letter was written for you, and Jesus is calling you to love one another, to even love your brothers and sisters. Because, think about Jesus. How How did Jesus love us? Jesus loved us by dying, by giving up of his preferences, by putting other people first. So kids, when your siblings, your brothers and sisters are making you mad, love them. Show them love. Initiate by showing them love, even if they don't love you back. So be patient with one another and kind. God has been so patient and kind with you. Husbands and wives, Love each other sacrificially. Ephesians 5 commands men specifically to love their wives with Christ-like love. Uh, It says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, let's die for our wives. Let's die to ourselves daily so that our wives and our families can flourish in their faith and flourish in their well-being. Parents, love your children with Christ-like love. Think deeply on how Christ has loved you, how forgiving He has been with you in your disobedience, how patient He's been with you as you learn to obey. 
how much grace He's extended to you. And, and, and then, in turn, extend that grace, extend that forgiveness, extend that patience to your children. Mothers of young children, you are already laying yourselves down 24-7 <laughs> for your family. It's incredible. You lay your life down, not only in it, with every waking moment of your life, but it seems like also very frequently in, at night as well, when you are woken up to take care of your children. So press on, sisters. <laughs> and when you're exhausted from sacrificing yourselves, think about Christ's love. Think about how Christ was exhausted when he was carrying his cross, and when he died on that cross in order to love you. Christ-like love is exhausting. It's exhausting. And it's also often very thankless. So press on, sisters. In verses 7, 17 and 18, John gives us further insight into what laying our lives down for our brothers and sisters looks like. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. In verse 17, we see that laying down our lives often looks like giving of our worldly goods to those in our church family with need. Uh, for those of you women who are going through the women's Bible study uh, uh, with the, in, in the book of James, doesn't this remind you of James chapter 2? If we say we have faith, but we see a brother or sister who is poorly clothed or lacking food, and we don't give them anything, well, what good is that faith? It's a dead faith. Genuine faith bears the fruit of love. Christian love grows beyond thought. It grows beyond feeling, beyond words, all the way to deeds of love. Our love is to be genuine for one another. And genuine love is genuinely helpful. It isn't superficial words. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's draw closer together as a family, as a church family, so that we can actually know what each other's needs are and so that we can lay down our lives for one another and love each other as Christ has loved us. The goal of the Christian life isn't to be an independent, self-sufficient Christian. I mean, maybe that's your goal as a citizen of this country, but that shouldn't be your goal as a citizen of the heavenly kingdom. Rather, we are we're to be interdependent members of the body who humbly recognize that we need each other for prayer, for wisdom, for counsel, for encouragement, correction, and so much more. So let's lean into each other's lives so that we can better lay down our lives for one another. Finally, as we go from here, May we ever continually meditate on Christ's love for us. 
It truly can take a lifetime to, 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 to unpack and understand all the different aspects of, of His love for us. And as we do so, I believe that His love will become more real to us. And then that will in turn overflow into our love for one another. So let's pray now for that end. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we thank you so much. We praise you that you loved us and you gave up yourself for us. And you didn't live and die to be just an example. But you did that to actually change us. To actually bring about the forgiveness that we need. And then to unite us with your Holy Spirit so that we could love you in return. Thank you for restoring our relationship to the Father and also our relationships with one another. Lord, I ask that you would help help us to, to ever grow in, in loving one another. And I pray, Lord, that, that, uh, that through that, the world will know that we are your disciples because of our love. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.